to just start learning about basics of financing. You know, obviously, most people, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's kind of a good start to just kind of change your thinking. Um, but there, there's so much content out there now about finances and stuff. And just kind of learning, you know, good debt versus bad debt. And just, just learning the basics. And then that'll obviously change your behaviors with money. Because, you know, if I knew, uh, you know, in my early 20s what I know now, to, you know, I just think of how much further I would be. You know, and it's not not overly complicated information. It's just kind of learning the fundamentals of you know how to save your money and how to invest it properly and how to not you know, stay away from bad debt. So that's really all you know. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts. Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires of a Podcast. This is episode number 277. Hope everybody's having a great week. I know we've got a great start to the new year in my household. Super excited for all sorts of things to come. Got a listener question this week that I thought I would get into. I thought it was really interesting, some of the things and kind of the angle that he was asking this from. This comes from Ben. Ben says, I have a question about asset allocation, specifically with my 401k. I am currently in a target date fund, which I've heard people on your podcast mention considering switching to eventually, but I'm afraid I'm leaving opportunity on the table. With that said, understanding I'm not currently a millionaire and I am in high growth mode, do you have any recommendations or can you point me in the right direction as to which funds to consider at this stage of the game? I'm not quite a millionaire, but I'm well on my way, hoping to get there in the next five to 10 years and want to make sure that I'm putting my putting my eggs in the right basket. Once again, Ben, appreciate that question. We get that question actually pretty often as it relates to asset allocation, not necessarily on 401k, but just in general. And I think there's a couple of things to consider as it relates to your personal situation. When you think about asset allocation, one, you've got to kind of work through what your risk tolerance is. And are you willing to, you know, say, put all of your money, whether it be in a retirement account or a brokerage account in equities? And if not, what does that look like from a equity to bond mix? And then also your investment horizon, which, you know, if you go think 20, 30, 40 years out, you know, there's a lot that can happen, you know, in the markets. And so being able to kind of understand that as it relates to your personal self, you know, risk tolerance and investment horizon, I think you can start to try to figure out what does an asset allocation look like, given that, you know, I've, I've got to reach a certain level, uh, you know, of investment goals that I may have. And the other thing too, and I always kind of go back to this as I've interviewed more and more of these millionaires that, you know, picking a strategy is and, and sticking with it is almost more important than, you know, over thinking your strategy period and just being able to be consistent with something over a long period of time will 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 lead you to those results and to some degree make sure that you're you're playing win not playing not to lose uh, to some degree especially if you have a long horizon because we've had some people that you know say hey I wasn't aggressive enough or you know when I was younger and and vice versa when they got older they may have been too aggressive in one asset class and they lost everything. So anyway, great question. Great things to consider. Obviously, every, everybody's personal situation is different and we're not giving any professional advice, but it is something interesting to, to think about as it relates to asset allocation, especially now that we've had you know upwards of 300 millionaires on the show and how are, how are they doing it? So this week on the show, we have Matt. Matt is a realtor after being in law enforcement. So we talked to him a little bit about his career journey, which is really unique. I appreciate Matt for his service. 
service, been in all, all sorts of facets of law enforcement. And net worth of $1.1 million, but $400,000 that in a brokerage account with Vanguard, $120K in cash, and then about $600,000 in some real estate equity between personal residence and some rentals. Last week at Rocco, he had 48 years old. Worked as a private wealth advisor. Net worth was over $10 million, d- divided up between his business equity, public equities, real estate, and a few other asset classes. Once again, if you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We're also looking for hopefully what we can get uh, somebody with a high level of net worth, upwards of nine figures uh, for episode 300. would love to have somebody in that 300 range, but uh, we'll see what we get. We've had the last couple and, and gotten lucky. So granted, I guess our... our uh, or 200th episode, we found out in the episode that it was really probably worth over 300. But at any rate, we published it for 200. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Matt. Matt, do you want to give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. So um, I live out here in Las Vegas. Uh, I sell real estate for a living. So I'm a, a licensed realtor, also a real estate investor. Uh, I have several properties that uh, I've accumulated and collect rent on. Um, and I've been doing that for about the last three years, uh, coming from a prior law enforcement background um, to now being self-employed as a realtor. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Okay. And what's your net worth today? Net worth is right around 1.1 million. Awesome. And how is that broken up? So uh, it's a little over 400,000 in some Vanguard funds, um, probably about 120,000 in cash spread over a business account, you know, the rental accounts and my personal bank account and then the rest is in uh real estate equity okay and is the the money that's in your vanguard is that in tax uh, advantaged accounts no so it's all just uh money that i've made and paid my taxes on and then i put it into um like vlo is primarily where i have a lot of the uh the money okay and so that's all in a taxable brokerage then basically correct okay and then the rentals that you have how many how many doors are they all single family uh, no, they aren't. So I uh, just last week I sold uh, one of mine. So prior to this, I had nine doors, but I just sold a duplex. So I'm down to seven. So I do own one duplex and then the rest are single family. And one of those includes uh, my current primary residence. And then I'm in escrow now on another property that'll close uh, right around the end of this month. The the bulk the bulk of my rentals are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up and lived till I was 27. And out here in Vegas, I own two two single family homes, and I'm buying my third one out here in Las Vegas right now. Okay, and are y'all putting 20% down on those? Um, on the rentals in Pittsburgh, one of those is levered with 20% down. The duplex single families are all owned outright. Um, a lot of those are pretty cheap properties. Some of them I picked up for like 35,000 bucks. Uh, so those are all paid off in cash. Uh, the duplex has debt on it. I put down, I think 20 or 25% on that. Um, and then the single family homes I own here in Las Vegas. So I buy those a little bit in a tricky way. So typically what I do is I, uh, like, I'll give you an example. The one I'm buying now is a house that I was going to list for one of my clients. They need to sell that and then go buy another house that the house they're looking for is kind of unique. So it, it worked out kind of perfect where I said, I'm, I'm in a position to buy your house and then I'll rent it back to you till we find something that you like and you can move into. Um, on that particular property, we're planning to be in it for probably a month after we close till we can get them into something else. So I'm, I'm rolling my commission that I would make on the sale towards the down payment. 
And then I typically offer the seller a little more than we agreed to on the purchase price and ask for a credit back to cover my closing costs. So it ends up costing me uh, very little out of pocket when I structure it like that. So hopefully that makes sense. Interesting. And then no cash flow, how much? Um, so the, the most recent one I bought out here, I structured it the same way. Uh, I ended up getting it with zero out of pocket because I was able to apply my commission and get my closing costs covered by the seller. Uh, payment on that is a little over 1500 a month. And I have a tenant in there paying eighteen hundred a month. Okay, so give or so take a couple hundred bucks after repairs and play. yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a huge cash flow play, but the two properties that I do own here in Vegas that have both been purchased in the last probably uh, eighteen to twenty months, I've purchased both of them. They've both appreciated. One has appreciated about fifty five thousand bucks, and the other about forty. So it's kind of like a long term. Uh, appreciation and then obviously debt pay down play for me on on the ve- uh, properties here in Vegas. And are you self-managing those? Yeah, so I self-manage all of them, even the ones back in Pittsburgh um, with the help of my dad. My dad and all my immediate family still lives back in that way, but he kind of helps me as far as when we have a vacancy, you know, we'll, we'll schedule some showings and he'll go over there and open the door and we just kind of do it that way. So it's obviously had some challenges doing it that way, but for now it's working. But at some point, I'll, uh, as I scale, I, I'm going to have to put management in place. So one, one question that always comes up with, with guys like you who now are, are getting real into the real estate game, why not take that brokerage account and go plug that into real estate now that you've caught the bug? Uh, that, that is, that's really what the plan is. So as I've accumulated more money, you know, I hate to see it just sit in a regular bank account. So I'm just kind of putting it in Vanguard, but that's kind of my piggy bank. And I'm, I'm in the market now for like a medium sized multifamily apartment building. So, uh, I have some, some agents back in Pittsburgh that are looking for you know, anything from eight to 30 units, um, depending on, you know, kind of the price, but probably somewhere up to, you know, one and a half to 1.7 million or so. Um, so I'm just kind of sitting on all this money in the brokerage account till I come across the right real estate deal. Gotcha. And how are you evaluating those deals? I mean, obviously some of these have come, come to you as clients, but are you, are you really looking at, Hey, can I just get a couple hundred bucks in cash flow, or is it more about, Hey, does this deal make sense where I can basically buy without my cash out of coming out of my pocket? Yeah, both ways. So the, the rentals and the reason I'm investing back in Pittsburgh is because the purchase prices and the rents there, I can cash flow there. With the way the property values are here in Las Vegas and what the rents are, it's really difficult to cash flow a decent amount here um, just because the rents don't really support you know what I'm going to have to pay for the property. So I'm look, depending where I'm buying, I'm looking at it through a different lens. The ones here in Vegas, I'm looking at, you know, which single family houses work for me as far as me negotiating a higher commission that I can basically cover my 5% down payment, um, you know, because I'll buy it as a primary, live in it for a bit, rent it out and buy the next one type of strategy. So I'm, I'm looking at it as acquiring single families here in Vegas that are going to continue to go up in value as the loan gets paid down. They're not going to cash flow much, but they didn't cost me anything. So if I make a hundred bucks or 200 bucks a month, great. Cause I don't have any money invested into it, but the real wealth will come from that property building equity over time. The ones back in Pittsburgh, I'm just kind of looking at as you would a traditional rental, you know, weighing out the, uh, the money I'm putting into it, what it's going to rent for, what my payment's going to be and making sure I'm, you know, hoping to get like 15 
100% cash on cash return when I'm buying something like that. Yeah. So Matt, five rental properties, right? Six doors, because you got the one duplex and then your primary. So you mentioned a couple hundred bucks to the one you were talking about, the Jace, in terms of cash flow. What is the entire portfolio cash flow, let's say monthly? Yeah. So the ones in Pittsburgh, um, one of them is sitting right now not cash flowing a dime tenant has stopped paying and i can't get her evicted so that one's kind of out now but once i can get her out get that house fixed up a little bit that one will rent for about 850 a month i have no debt on it so after you kind of set aside some some money for taxes insurance and and maintenance call it 500 bucks a month on that um the duplex i own there the payments 480 a month and i have that one rented at a little over 1500 a month uh, so obviously that one's cash flowing probably 700 a month after you kind of set aside a little bit of money i would say the entire portfolio probably a little over 3000 bucks monthly yeah so 36 grand how much do you spend a year in general or like into the the rental property no just for your for your living expenses i'm just trying um, to see if you're close to covering your living expenses probably not quite yet uh, not quite. My primary residence, I just refied the mortgage. That's that's only thirteen thirty a month. I do have a, a very hefty car payment that I bought to to lower my tax burden uh, last year. So my car payment's more than my actual mortgage payment, uh, which is kind of interesting and sounds backwards. But I can get into that if you guys want me to. No, it, it three thousand you know three thousand a month doesn't cover my expenses. I would say, but I also don't. I don't spend a ton of money every month. It's kind of on uh, on the basics, and then I spend money on my real estate business. But uh, it, it, it's probably relatively close, I would say. So you're not too afraid of leverage, Matt? No, and I, I, w- I would agree with that um, to a certain extent. But I do have pretty strong cash flow from all the properties that have no debt. So you know, I bought those first mainly because I couldn't get any type of financing because I didn't have two years of self-employment taxes done. So I was able to buy those. Luckily, I had the cash and I made some some good purchases and they cash flow well. So at this point, I'm not too worried about taking on some some debt as long as it's done correctly. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. And then what about the car? What's your what's going on there? Yeah. So uh, last year when my accountant was doing the taxes, you know, he had he had told me I'm going to be looking at Owen pretty hefty amount uh on taxes because obviously we don't want to write my income down too much because i i do like you know i need to qualify for mortgages so that's kind of always the challenge of being self-employed so i was gonna have to to write a pretty big check to uh to the irs uh one way around that was to buy a vehicle under i think it's section 179 of the tax code which is uh an suv or a truck that's over six thousand pounds you can write off the the entire expense against your taxes and save a lot so we basically kind of worked it out and he said, you know, if you need a new car, now's the time to do it. Um, I didn't, but the way I kind of did the math was it, it ended up saving me about 35,000 in taxes. So I went and bought a car that was just under a hundred thousand. So I put down zero dollars. My payment's right around 1500 a month. So when I do the math, I'm going to be at like a break even point at about, I think it's about 24 months or so, right around two years or so. So in in theory, it was either give the money to the IRS or essentially give it to uh, Mercedes Financial and drive a new Mercedes for the next couple of years to then I can sell it and just get rid of it and call it a day. But it saved me on the taxes for, for last year. So do you qualify as a real estate professional? Can't you use that some of that depreciation to offset your income as well? I would assume so, yeah. So uh, I know my accountant kind of works as magic. I'm not you know, I don't get involved too much in it. I probably should a little bit more, but these last few years have just been kind of laser focused on growing my business and you know, trusting him to 
to do what he needs to do to get my taxes where they need to be. But yeah, that's something I need to to make sure we're doing and try to you know get as much depreciation from the properties. I know he has encouraged me to start financing some of these properties because, like I said, originally I had bought uh, several of the first ones cash. He said we're able to save more money when I do start to finance some of these properties. So I have to check with him on that. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about the career switch, obviously, because that's the big thing here. I mean, law enforcement for how many years and, and how did you decide to, to switch careers and why real estate? Sure. So I was in uh, the field of corrections working in um, a halfway house for years back in Pittsburgh, moved out to Las Vegas in 2011, um, did some security work out here before I was able to apply for the police department. And I got hired on in uh, 2014 uh, to work at the jail here in Las Vegas and did that through 2018. Uh, made a good living, great benefits. Um, you know, the long term career there would have been would have been fine. And, you know, in my third, second year there, I was making over $100,000. So, um, you know, well paid, but also a lot of work, Uh, 12-hour shifts. You know, to make good money, you got to do quite a bit of overtime. And it it just started to kind of weigh on me for for a while, working that much, tying up that much of my time into work. And then also just kind of like working at a job where you have coworkers that make more than you, regardless of ability or effort simply because they have more time in than you. And that was something that I was kind of frustrated with. So I just kind of made the decision that I wanted to kind of seek something else. And I started thinking what and what's kind of the opposite of what I'm doing. You know, what what gives me freedom? What gives me the ability to make an unlimited income, not a fixed income? And also what kind of allows me to deal with people that are in a happy situation, not in a situation where they're obviously upset because they're in jail and, you know, they don't like you because you're working in there type of thing. So I don't know how I kind of stumbled on the real estate thing. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, Didn't know anybody that did it. But, you know, I guess it was something I thought of and thought of pursuing. So I just started studying for the exam while I was uh, on night shift at the jail, ended up taking the test and passed it the first time. And that was right around February of 2018. And I juggled both jobs. So I was working 12-hour shift um, in the jail, and I was trying to build my real estate business. Took kind of a couple months to get going, but uh, June of 2018, so about you know four months later or so, was my last month, and I was able to, uh, to make the switch full-time into real estate then. So you did both for how long now? From, fe- from about February of 2018 till the end of June 2018, so... So only like three or four five months? months? Yeah, uh, pr- probably closer to four or five months. And at that point and in June, I, had you kind of replaced your income that you were making as a corrections officer? Yeah, so I, you know, as any real estate agent will tell you, it's it's tough at first. You know, you, you don't have anything going. Uh, and that was kind of the case with me. But uh, I got my first commission check on May 31st. And then by the end of June, I had closed six or seven more deals. And I remember I had made about 57,000 bucks that month in commissions. And that was you know, obviously the most amount of money I had ever seen, especially come in in a month. Uh, and it gave me a, a pretty good nest egg and some security to then leave that position and not be stressed financially and then pursue the real estate uh, sales full time. Gotcha. So I want, I want to go back to something real quick, just because I, I don't think this has come up a lot. And there's also, you know, the, the connotation in the marketplace that millionaires always drive, you know, crazy cars and whatnot. And usually we've we've got a bunch of them on that, that don't, but you've got a sweet one. So you bought this car. Would you mind telling, you know, people what it is and maybe what did you drive before, before you bought this car? 
Yeah, sure. So what I have is a uh, 2021 uh, Mercedes GLE AMG 53. So it's like their uh, kind of their sporty SUV AMG version. Um, sticker price was right around like 96,000 bucks on it or something. And, and it really was nothing that I wanted. I hadn't thought about buying a car whatsoever. Something that I kind of had to make a decision on, on the spot once I met with my accountant and he said, you know, you're either going to write a big check to the IRS or you can go buy a car. Um, and after kind of sitting on it, you know, I'm not one to buy something that I don't want, especially that much money. Um, but when we kind of sat down and did the math and I had suggested maybe buying something cheaper, but buying something cheaper wouldn't have offset as much in taxes. So it was kind of like you had to spend a decent amount of money to save a decent amount of money on taxes. And we kind of figured out the math and realized if I finance it around what my payment's going to be and how much it'll save me. And it was basically like driving this car for free for the next a little over two years because I would have given that money to the IRS anyway. And what were you driving before? Uh, before that, so I had a, a 2010 uh, uh, Mercedes E-Class. Um, nothing special. I, I still have it. I use it. You know, I, I don't know if it sounds good because I say Mercedes E-Class, but it really was like nothing special. I mean, it, had, it has 100,000 miles on it. I still have it. It's just kind of something I take when I take my dogs to the park, I take them in that car because I don't want to put them in the, in the newer <laughs> one. Um, but that was that was something that I bought when I started making some money at the police department and thought I was doing well. Went and bought that car and it put me into debt. And at that time had, you know, on on paper had a negative net worth, if you know, but I did have a Mercedes in the garage. Uh, so that was kind of before I had any type of financial literacy and, you know, kind of cared what other people thought and bought that type of vehicle. So keeping it, did you have a loan on that before too and paid it off or did you buy that one in cash? Yeah, no. So that one was, yeah, that one was financed. Uh, it's paid off. It's been paid off now, but yeah, I don't even, I think that payment was, I don't know, four or 500 bucks. And yeah, also at that time had, you know, a motorcycle and a, uh, a Polaris slingshot, the three wheel vehicles. And, you know, that was, that was kind of when I was making money at the jail, I would spend money type of thing. So now I'm, kind of the opposite here. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit because you mentioned this on, kind of on the pre-call that you basically had a negative net worth. You've really done all this in the last, call it three years. Maybe rewind just a little bit and tell people kind of where you were, you know, give or take four or five years ago and what that journey's looked like the last couple of years. Yeah, so uh, if we go back to kind of when I started at the police department, which would have been, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, didn't have anything at that time. Got hired on, you know, base pay, I think was around 60000 maybe made 80000 with some overtime and thought I was, you know, thought I was kind of rich at that point. Uh, I did end up buying a house back then, probably a higher payment than I probably should have had, but, you know, managed and then continued to work that job at the police department and my income continually went up to the point I was making, you know, I think around 130 when I left, then switched over to real estate. And, you know, that first six months of real estate, which finished 2018 for me, as far as when I was doing a full-time ended up, my income that year was higher than my income ever had been just in that six month time. And then it's kind of continued to go up uh, over the last three years. So that kind of puts me where I'm at now. And like we had mentioned before, till that, you know, that first commission check essentially of May 2018 and that big month in June where I made quite a bit, you know, prior to that month, I, I had debt. I had, you know, the car payment. I had that, the other vehicles and toys that I had that had debt on them. 
and I hardly had any money in the bank. So at that point, my net worth was negative. And now as my income has grown over the last three years, I've been very intentional, mostly out of fear and kind of uncertainty of now being self-employed and not having, you know, a retirement or a steady check. I've been very conservative with my money and basically all the money that I have made over the last three years has been saved, whether it's in, you know, real estate equity or, or in my brokerage account. Did you have a pension from, from being a corrections officer at all? No. So, uh, uh, I think you needed five years or maybe 10 years before you kind of, uh, got a pension there. So no, I didn't, I didn't have anything before I left. And, and that it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned that. Cause that's kind of what, in my opinion, what traps a lot of guys into that career. And I'm, I don't have anything against it. Uh, I, I think it's a great career, but that tends to happen to a lot of uh, people in that career is once they kind of get that time in, they're afraid to leave because it's like, okay, well, you know, if I just get to the next mark, I get a, more of a pension type of thing. And then they end up staying, you know, their entire career. Totally. I think I got out before, before I got to the point where I feel like, you know, I don't want to waste all the time I had in type of thing. Gotcha. When you, when you were a teenager, what did you think about in terms of your career and money or did you at all at that point? Yeah. So my, my, I kind of come from a law enforcement family. My dad was in law enforcement his whole career. My brother is in it now. When I, since I've been a kid, that's been, that was my career path. I mean, it was, there was no other thought. It was always going to be, you know, you're either going to be a police officer on the street or you're going to be a, an officer in a correctional facility. So in my mind, that was, that was what I was going to do. I was going to do the 20 or 25 years, have some type of pension and, and kind of go that route. So you know, that's what was, was in my mind that whole time. Were you ne- nervous to make this switch, Matt? Yeah, extremely nervous. And to a certain extent, even being, you know, over three years into it now, still am a little bit just because, you know, it's my whole life has been, you know, working W-2 jobs where you get paid every two weeks. And if you show up, you get paid and having that safety net. You know, I, I still, you know, the real estate thing for the most part has been very steady, but still have months where you do really well and other months where you don't do as well. And it's still somewhat of a challenge for me to kind of push those thoughts to the side that, hey, what if your business, you know, starts to slack off or, you know, you don't get some more clients type of thing. I've gotten better at kind of, you know, pushing that to the side and realizing like as long as I'm putting in the work and stuff, I I should be fine. But it's also kind of drove me to be very smart with the money that I do make because I'm, you know, putting it into real estate to cash flows and putting it into assets is going to protect me in the long run. So that that's kind of, it's been a blessing and a curse a little bit. Yeah. You alluded to this just a little bit just now, but has the income from the real estate side of it, has it evened out a little bit more, be, become a little bit more reliable or not so much? Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you like that, uh, 2018, you know, the first check was at the end of May for that six months, essentially till the end of the year, I made 150,000, uh, 2019, I think right around 190,000, 2020, about 310. And then this year, up until now, it's somewhere a little over 400. Dude, what are you worried about? <laughs> you well, were, uh, you in know, the first I, year, you went from 130 to one, what'd you say, 190 the first year, 170? Yeah, 150 the first year doing real estate to 190, 310 to a little over four. It's just, you know, I... You just hope it lasts. Yeah, I get you. It. I, got so you. I, you know, I, I'm, I guess my mind is still adjusting to the self-employed mindset and, you know, that type of thing, because I've just kind of always been, you know, hey... You, you never know what can happen. You know, I, I do have my thoughts on like some disruptions that I think are going to happen in the real estate industry and, you know, kind of hurt us real estate agents. So, you know, it's something I'm kind of preparing for that I could see happen in the next, I don't know, five years or so, maybe. 
So you mentioned you're selling single multifamily. I mean, how do you find your clients? Have you built a team? Are you working under a brokerage? How does all that work? Yeah, so I, I work under a brokerage here in Las Vegas. Um, just this past year, I started a team filled with you know brand new agents that are mostly just kind of people I know or people that have gotten referred to me. So I'm not actively recruiting. And it's been a hell of a challenge because it's, it's a lot of time investment, you know, bringing a new agent on and kind of getting them up to speed paid off a little bit this year but still the bulk of that income this year has been just kind of through me i'm hoping next year to kind of see see the team come through uh and increase the overall income a little bit but yeah we primarily here in las vegas most of the sales we do are you know single family homes uh some townhouses and condos uh not so much multifamily homes here in vegas there is a market for multifamily here but to be honest they're not very popular they're kind of in the bad areas of town that you know not i don't really work in and i don't uh i don't invest in because a lot of people ask me why you know why i'm not buying any multifamily here in vegas there's just there's too many tenant issues with with what you're going to get here so uh, don't do too much multifamily here. So when you decide to switch over to real estate, was the goal more, hey, I want to work for myself and be an agent and sell and control my own schedule and have that flexibility? Or was it, I'm going to buy real estate because I want to create this stream of passive income? Or was it both? A little bit of both, but more towards the latter. Uh, I, I, I enjoy being a real estate agent, but I also one of the reasons I'm building the team is to kind of scale back myself um, and and kind of run a business to where I don't necessarily have to be out showing homes and doing that type of thing. Uh, but my primary goal with all of it and and what it still is is to to make a lot of money selling real estate as as a realtor and then use that money to to be a real estate investor and grow that side of my business. So eventually just be full time and and you know real estate investing and kind of make that my my living and substance toot my income with with that rental income. And how soon after you made the switch did you buy your first property? That's a good question. It would have been uh, early 2019, so probably eight months, eight to ten months into uh, doing real estate full time. Okay. Any horror stories here? Tenants, bad situations. Yeah, uh, one now I have that you know is just a tenant that uh, kind of not so much of a horror story. I you know I I don't fault her too much. She's an elderly lady that was on Section 8. And Section 8 kind of uh, had some issues with the property that were unable to get rectified. And, you know, we, we essentially worked out a thing where I told her, hey, we're just not, this property's not going to be available for, for Section 8 anymore, so I need you to move. Given her over a year to find a new place, and she just won't. I've tried to evict her once, and the judges kind of keep giving her stays. So she's sitting in one of my properties right now and has been. I haven't collected rent in that one for over a year. Uh, there's no debt on it and it's, it needs quite a bit of repairs just because the previous owner had left it in disrepair and I inherited this tenant. So it's not costing me anything to keep her in it, but obviously the opportunity cost is missed of like getting it fixed up and, and getting a new tenant in there. So, uh, hopefully kind of once we get the judges to, uh, to be a little more lenient, they can, uh, we can get her out of there and get it, get it turned over. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation or interesting situation you're in, Matt, because you can kind of double dip, right? You get the sales, but then you also get access to any of the real estate deals that you want to buy before you sell it to somebody else. Yeah, so the ones here in Vegas, definitely. And and that's, you know, that's exactly the situation with the one I'm in escrow on now. It was, you know, my friends had called me and they wanted to list the property and sell it, but the, the stars kind of aligned and it works out perfectly for their situation. And I had just gotten approved to buy another property with, with the lender. So, you know, I said, hey, this one works for me as a rental. They were happy to sell it to me because it works out for them. And, you know, it's a win-win for both of us. 
You know, part part of the the crazy thing I keep kind of thinking as we're chatting here is before we recorded you or before we started recording, you said that a lot of this has really come, and you reiter- you reiterated this to Jace at the beginning of the show. But a lot most of this has come in the last three years. That three or four years ago, you had a net worth of I, what negative ten? Correct me there. It was it was negative. I wouldn't even. I'd have probably probably more negative than that i think i at that time i probably had twenty thousand of car debt and yeah probably hardly four or five was there a moment there that that you said like you know dave ramsey talks about the i've had a moment where you say i'm done and i want to switch and i want to make a change was there a moment there or i know you talked about a few of those things when you were working as the as the officer that led up to that but any specific moment or conversations particularly no, not so much. Um, to be honest, it didn't really bother me when I was in that situation. It was just kind of like I didn't know. You know I was kind of ignorant of finances, and I just, you know, I knew if I went to work, I was going to get a check the next week, and you know, I didn't have tons of money, but I had enough to just pay the bills and you know enjoy the stuff I had, and I was just kind of doing that. Um, the the moment I kind of decided I needed a career change was really just like you know so some frustration at the job and just, you know, I just, just realizing like, is this really something I want to do for the next 20 or 25 years? And just saying like, I, I think I, I could try something else. Uh, but the, the, it didn't really come in the form of like, Oh, I'm stressed financially. And you know, it, I don't like having debt and not having a lot of cash type of thing. I was kind of just ignorant to it all. And that was it. It was when I kind of eventually left the, the steady job and went to the full-time real estate sales. And you know, that mindset shift of like, okay, now you don't have anything coming unless you go out there and get a sale. Uh, so when you do get a sale, you better be really smart with that money because you don't know when the next one's coming. That was when kind of the whole shift changed. And I, you know, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and kind of, you know, that changed my thinking. And then it was just like out of fear, you better start stacking up your money because, you know, it's it's all on you now. You can't just get paid for for showing up. So, Matt, just to wrap up here, let's do some rapid fire questions. What's the uh, most expensive sure. meal out that you paid for? Uh, outside of like taking my team out, you know, once a quarter or something like that, uh, me and my girlfriend occasionally will go to Fleming's and it's you know, 150 bucks or something for the two of us. Okay. Not, not often because I'm not, not a foodie whatsoever. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with Chipotle or something like that, but, uh, yeah, we'll do that occasionally. What is the restaurant of choice? Is it Chipotle? <laughs> yeah. It's just for something quick, but if we want something nice, we typically go to Fleming's and get a good steak. Okay. Uh, we talked about the car, the most expensive, that's the, the new Mercedes, right? Yeah. And that's not something that I advocate other than obviously like it was, it was, you know, the trade off from the tax benefits. It wouldn't have been something I, I bought just to have. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. Is there a car down the road when you're a little wealthier that you do want a sports car or anything? Yeah. So that's interesting. It was, uh, uh for years, you know, I'm into cars and I like cars and for years it was always, you know, at some point I wanted to buy you know, a, a nice newer Lamborghini and uh, had even thought about it when I just kind of started making a little money in real estate, but realized like, hey, you know, probably could have afforded it, but it would have been absolutely silly. And it was, you know, would have been a dumb purchase. Now that I could probably easily afford it with my income, have no desire for any of that stuff. It's It almost would pain me to, to do something like that. I'd much rather buy an apartment building or, or a couple more houses or that type of thing. So, it's as I've increased my net worth and my income, the desire to buy that expensive stuff is, has decreased. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think uh, maybe just because you see that, you know, it, it does kind of snowball a little bit. The more you make, uh, 
and the more you get into investments and, and into properties, you know, the easier it is to get into more of that stuff because, you know, your income continues to grow as you're, you're investing in these assets. So, you know, maybe it's just like, hey, you, you realize what else you could do with that money to make it grow even further. That's what I think about it. Interesting. So no no Lambo purchases for you down the road? No, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe if, when the net worth hits a crazy amount or something like that, but uh, not definitely not in the immediate future. Do you have a target net worth? No. It's not even something... Uh, not even something I probably care about that much. Probably care more about getting to maybe like a certain uh, rental cash flow each month. And what would that be? That's more, uh, I don't know, because I feel like, uh, you know, the goalposts kind of keep getting pushed a little bit. As you, <laughs> as you get more, you realize, you know, you would, I thought maybe 5,000 would have been good, but now it's, well, you know, maybe 10. And I think when I get closer to that, it's probably going to bump a little bit too. Uh, so that's some. Something I've been challenging myself to think about a little bit more recently is, you know, kind of at what point does enough become enough? And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and interviews uh, like the one we're doing now. And I, I do hear people that it seems like, you know, that that's, they're never satisfied and they're just going to keep going and going and going. And, you know, I can see how that happens. So I, I want to be, be aware of that and, and maybe get to a point where it's like, okay, you you have sacrificed and worked hard and got to a certain point, you know, you have to, you have to start enjoying that stuff. Um, so I don't know. I would think at least like a $10,000 a month, you know, rental income would be definitely sustainable and definitely something I could live off of comfortably. But I can't say if, you know, if and when I do get there, which I think I will in the next couple of years, just based on the cash I have saved and when I can get it into some, some good real estate deals if I'll stop or if I'll just kind of slow down or if I'll be pushing further. Mm-hmm. What's the most expensive experience or vacation that you've taken? Um, probably nothing special. Um, you know, maybe a trip to Mexico or something like that. Um, I am taking a couple members of my real estate team there, but that's, uh, I did set a sales goal for them this year and, and they hit it. So that was kind of the reward is we're going to go to Cancun for a few days and I'm going to pay for it. it it's a business expense, so it's not kind of like my personal thing. But for me personally, you know, maybe something that's fifteen hundred bucks or two grand for an all-inclusive in in the Caribbean. Okay, is there something on your list that you want to do down the road that you haven't done yet? That's a good question. No, I, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I probably to a certain extent I do want to travel more. Um, you know, these last few years, I, I mentioned I've kind of been laser focused on, you know, growing this business. And now, especially with the team being in its infancy, you know, it, it, it takes up a lot of my time. So, you know, maybe as I can get the team going more and, and scale out of production a little bit, you know, take some more time to myself to get out and, and travel a bit more and, you know, maybe just enjoy the hard work that I've been doing in whatever way I kind of feel uh, I want to do. Okay. Let's see here. How much TV do you watch a week? Um, I like to watch soccer games, uh, like the Premier League soccer. So I watch those typically like Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. But uh, outside of that, not a ton of TV. I do watch a lot of YouTube content, just various type of stuff, all kinds of, you know, anything from bigger pockets to like just you know uh, random videos on YouTube. So, but uh, oh, maybe maybe an hour to a day kind of spread out just depends on my schedule or you know typically when i'm winding down in the evening okay how many books are do you read a year not that many um maybe one uh i'm more into consuming content 
like I said, through uh, through audio. So uh, not big on audio books, but but huge on like uh, podcasts and, and you know like uh, bigger pocket style uh, YouTube videos and interviews and stuff like that. So that's that's really where I consume. You know, I consume that way more more than television or books. Okay. Matt, just to wrap up here, what would be your advice to somebody who's just starting out or beginning their journey? Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously depending on their situation, whether they're self-employed or just W-2, but, you know, I, I try to coach any agents on my team, ones or just friends in general, to uh, to just start learning about basics of financing. You know, obviously most people, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's kind of a good start to just kind of change your thinking. Um, but there, there's so much content out there now about, finances and stuff and just kind of learning you know good debt versus bad debt and just just learning the basics and then that'll obviously change your behaviors with money because you know if i knew uh you know in my early 20s what i know now you know i just think of how much further i would be you know and it's not not overly complicated information it's just kind of learning the fundamentals of you know how to save your money and how to invest it properly and how to not you know stay away from bad debt so that's really all you know. People need to look into. Awesome, Matt, with a net worth of one point one million dollars. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire. 